Welcome to episode 35 of the Fire Safety Matters podcast, where we bring you the latest news, views and opinion from across the UK's dedicated fire industry. My name's Brian Sims and I'm the editor of Fire Safety Matters magazine. We're delighted that this podcast is sponsored by the Fire Safety Event, which runs at the NEC in Birmingham from the 30th of April until the 2nd of May 2024. Fire Safety Matters is once again serving as the lead media partner for the exhibition. To register for the show, visit www.firesafetyevent.com. As always, I'm joined on the Fire Safety Matters podcast by my colleague Mark Sennett, the CEO at Western Business Media and also the founder of Fire Safety Matters magazine. Hi Mark, how's things with you? All good here, Brian. It's been an amazing couple of weeks that I think we're going to talk about a bit later in the podcast. Uh, we're that time of year. We're obviously already planning for next year for Fire Safety Matters in terms of we've got our content lineup lined up and uh, we're on the road quite a bit meeting uh, key clients. And of course, you know, to all of you listening to the podcast, we're really grateful to you for interacting with our advertisers, whether you see it on a newsletter, a banner, listening to somebody interview on this podcast, read, see adverts in the magazine or the annual FIA guide that we're about, or we've just gone to press with. Please do continue to um, interact with the advertisers because, you know, they have products that should, and services that should appeal to you, but they're the reason that we can do all of this stuff for free. And, you know, we're very, very grateful to them. So yeah, busy time. But as always on this podcast, we start with the news. And I always say you don't have to wait for this podcast to see the latest news. You can go onto our website, and if you don't know our web address, simply go into a search engine, Fire Safety Matters, and up we come. And you can see all the latest news, prosecutions, and products and services in the fire sector from there on a daily basis. You can sign up there to get our weekly e-newsletter, along with 50,000 other professionals um, in the sector that get it weekly. You can also read digital copies of all of our back archives of Fire Safety Matters and the FIA guides from there. You can sign up for free to that, sign up for free to our upcoming webinars or look at our past webinars on demand for free and you get a CPD certificate for doing so. So there's a lot of reasons to go to our website, Brian. You can also follow us on social media, whether it's LinkedIn or X. We are there under Fire Safety Matters. So don't just wait for this podcast to get your news. But we do always pick... Uh, three or four stories um, that have happened in the last month on this podcast that we want to share with you. So, Brian, I'll let you open uh, proceedings today. What's the first news story you want to cover? Thank you, Mark. It's a very major story that's been released in the last couple of days, in fact. The uh, Building Safety Regulator, the independent body established in the Health and Safety Executive by the Building Safety Act of 2022, of course, has just published its 27-page strategic plan for 2023 through until 2026, which establishes a vision designed to create a built environment wherein everyone is competent and takes responsibility in order to ensure buildings are of a high quality and also safe. Already, the Building Safety Regulator is leading a critical change in culture, and behaviours across industry and the entirety of the built environment. This represents the most significant change to regulation of building safety for a generation now. That means residents and other building users can be confident that industry is working together to make sure the tragedies of days gone by, among them Lackanor House and also Grenfell Tower, of course, will never be repeated. The Building Safety Regulator aims to improve the safety and standards of all buildings, make sure residents of higher-risk buildings are safe and, what's more, feel safe in their own homes, and help to restore trust in the built environment right across the sector. It will do so by delivering consistent standards within the building control profession, overseeing and driving improvements across the whole built environment, regulating the planning, design and construction of new higher-risk buildings, ensuring that those who are responsible for occupied high-risk buildings manage risks such that residents are safe, and also working in partnership with co-regulators. The Building Safety Regulator will oversee a new and stringent regime for high-rise residential buildings, 
as well as overseeing the wider system for regulating the safety and performance of all buildings and increasing the competence of relevant regulators and industry professionals alike. Commenting in a foreword to the strategic plan, Mark, Michael Goh, the Secretary of State for Leveling Up Housing and Communities, has noted, the system that regulates our buildings must be practical and comprehensible. The building safety regulator must lead the sector in creating a built environment that's fit for the future. Its first three-year strategic plan is a key moment in that mission. It looks forward and lays out a solid foundation on which the building safety regulator can build its ambition in future years. Philip White, the Director of Building Safety at the Health and Safety Executive, and also now the permanent leader of the regulator, explained this strategic plan sets up the guiding principle to be put in place to keep us focused on our priorities in delivering the new regime. We will keep it under continuous review and ensure that we have the right capability and capacity in place to meet this challenge as our remit continues to evolve, working with others on sharing knowledge, expertise and data all the while. White continued, our focus is clear and resolute as we oversee a culture of higher standards, all the while putting forward building safety. Our regulatory activities will be conducted in a way which is transparent, accountable, proportionate and consistent. In conclusion, Mark, White has observed throughout the next three years, the building safety regulator will continue to work across all sectors to ensure that those operating the construction sector engage fully with the new regime. Our overriding aim is that people will witness fundamental changes to the safety and standard of all buildings and increased competency among industry professionals that raises those standards year on year. Any thoughts to add on this one, Mark? Yeah, I mean, Brian, obviously something we follow very closely from the, we've followed the establishment of the building safety regular later after the independent review into building safety and fire safety conducted by Dame Judith Hackett. We followed it from start to finish, didn't we? And, you know, from here, this is obviously a strategic outline now for the next three years. And and, and the key things is what you've really already covered. Um, um, The building safety regulator is there to improve safety and standards for all buildings. And of course, You've also mentioned there about need to oversee a new stringent regime for high-right residential buildings. So this is an important step. Um, I would urge people to look at the article in full, which if you go to our website, fsmatters.com, the title of the article is Regulator Publishes Strategic Plan for 2023 to 2026. You will find that in there. But I do want to add something else from there as well. Um, obviously, the BSR is 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 overseen by the Health and Safety executive and Sarah Newton uh, is the chair of the health and safety executive and she commented on this and she said this is a strong and coherent strategy built in a collaboration with all the building safety regulators stakeholders there's a keen focus on ensuring that industry takes ownership and responsibility for delivering a safe system throughout the lifetime of a building this must be front of mind for everyone everyone must be aware of their legal responsibilities collaboration and collective responsibilities are key when it comes to the delivering better standards so if you want to read more, obviously read more in the article, but there's also a link so you can read the whole, I think it's 27 pages in full. Um, and so the Building Sage Regulated Strategic Plan is available to view online in full. If you go to hsc.gov.uk, you probably find it from the start there, but let's just say the full domain name here, hsc.gov.uk forward slash building hyphen safety forward slash strategic hyphen plan dot htm now i don't expect you to remember that unless you're going to keep rewinding it is in the news story that we have uh, put up and you can click on straight through to it of course you could throw in quite frankly into a search engine building safety regulator strategic plan 2023 to 2026 and you'll find it but 
it's it's well worth a read as a significant step forwards and um you know it's it's good to see um things moving forwards the way that they were intended it is a significant step so moving on to our our next story in that story there, we've talked about the importance of standards and, and making people safe. And that is a nice tenuous link for me to announce, the good news, that the Fire and Security Matters Awards are once again open for entries. Uh, we had over 280 entries last year. The awards are there for a reason, to celebrate the key role you guys do in keeping people and property safe. Now, obviously, this is a fire safety podcast rather than the security matters podcast that Brian hosts, so I'm going to focus on the fire safety element. We're really, really proud to have BAFE as our headline sponsor, and that shows you the level of industry support of these awards. You've also got the FIA that support them. IFIDA is another great one. IFSM that's in there as well. Um, NSI and SSAIB. So the industry truly supports these. But this isn't just about individual. You can nominate yourself. You can nominate a colleague. You can nominate your team. You can nominate a project, a product, your organization in general. There's many ways to get recognition. And later in the podcast, I'll talk about something similar to that. And so to prove that I'm not a hypocrite on these things, that I do under awards ourselves. And I feel really passionate about this. We launched these awards um, um, just when Brian was coming to the, the company to be editor of Fire Safety Matters. And he and I feel passionate about this. The categories you've got is Fire Safety Manufacturer of the Year, Fire Safety Installation Company of the Year, Fire Safety Manager of the Year, Fire Safety Team of the Year, Fire Safety Project of the Year, Fire Safety Innovation of the Year, Fire Safety Campaign of the Year, Fire Industry Woman of the Year, ESG Company of the Year, and uh, the turnover of that is beneath um, 5 million for one category and above 5 million turnover for others. You know, so many of you could enter that. ESG is such an important uh, topic. So that's just on the... On the fire categories, obviously there's mirror categories for security, for like security team of the year, security innovation of the year, security industry woman of the year, security installation of the year, etc, etc. But I would really urge you to end, as we've already had a number of entries in the first few days that have come in. If you get shortlisted, and sadly, unfortunately, you can't bribe Brian or I on this uh, because uh, we have a wide array of judges and you won't know who they are until the day happens. So with the industry judges these awards and it only takes a few minutes to enter. But I can tell you now, as I'll go on to a bit later, you deserve recognition for yourself, your teammates, your colleagues, your organisation, a project, a campaign, whatever, because you do a really, really important job. And it should be celebrated. And last year we had over 640 people attend the awards. They're great fun, great networking. You don't have to attend if you enter. You know, obviously we hope that you will. And uh, we reveal the winners on the night. And that will take place on the 12th of June 2024 at the Coventry Building Society Arena, um, which will be after the daytime Fire Safety Matters Conference that will uh, take place again. Their FSM Live will be there along with a, a BAFE conference and an Institute of Fire Safety Managers Conference. So it's a proper industry day. So you've got until the 14th of April 2024 to enter. It's completely free to enter. And honestly, it only takes a few minutes to do so. Please do. And if you get shortlisted, you should shout about that. That's something well worth celebrating and giving you the recognition that, that you deserve. So please, please do enter. It's something that, if I'm honest, it's my favourite part of my job. I love these awards, uh, like I do the Safety and Health Excellence Awards we have as well. Because 
it means something to people. Um, it, it really, really does. Seeing the smiles on people's faces and the emails we get for when people get shortlisted are even better when they've had a commended entry or highly commended or a, a winner. It's done for a reason. It's exactly what a magazine should do. It is there to promote excellence in the sector um, and really celebrate what you do. So we're very proud of them. We really, really hope that you'll enter. So you can throw into a search engine Fire and Security Matters Awards, or you can go to firesecurityawards.com and enter for free. Brian, I know that uh, obviously this is something close to your heart too. Is there anything you want to chip in on the awards? Yes, Mark, as you said, you know, the awards were really formed when I came into the business. At that time, of course, it was Fire and Security Matters, one standard magazine, which we then split out into two. These awards are very important. Obviously, you mentioned there the whole competence regime that's coming into the fire sector at the moment. We try and mirror that with the awards as best we can about best practice, CPD, continual learning, etc. So I think that's where these awards really, really sort of... I guess, uh, ramp that idea up, if you like, in terms of the industry per se. So I'm very much behind them. I do hope people enter. As you say, we had a record number of entries last year, all of which were great. And the evening itself was always fantastic. It was a great networking opportunity. And I really love that as, a, as editor of the magazines, the, both magazines, Fire Safety Matters and Security Matters, you know, put in front of the audience and, and tell them how, you know, what a great job the whole industry is doing, the two industries are doing, in fact, uh, to better best practice across the piece. And um, for me, doesn't get any better than that it's interaction with your audience and your audience interacting with you so for me it's a great evening it was a great event and if you want to have fun on the evening we do have fun as well as great networking the who's who of the sector's there but actually you there to have a good time as well we've got jason manford uh as our host he'll be doing a comedy set first and presenting the awards so good big name there we have magicians there we have a dance floor there i'm not sure that you'll see brian do the worm on the dance floor but i'm pretty guaranteed if you asked me to do it i'd have a crack at it it has been seen before um <laughs> We have, you know, fun money casino tables there. We have fun photo booths. Probably it's the most uh, <laughs> the most popular thing there is probably the free pick and mix cart we have at the end. Um, perhaps not for the diabetic in you, Brian, the best uh, treat for you there. But uh, I can at no. least uh, give you a glass of water to, uh, <laughs> to enjoy separately or a beer. Um, <laughs> we should also mention as well, Mark, I think, obviously, the fact that we're running FSM Live again during the day before the awards in the evening. Absolutely. And, of course, uh, Security Matters Live for the first time the following day as well. Yes. I mean, that's the bit I forgot to mention. The very next day, Security Matters Live is a full conference where SSAIB will be doing an installer conference. IFPO will be doing their own conference and Security Matters Live. Brian's got a busy couple of days, bless him. He's got a host... Two back-to-back days, one of a Fire Safety Matters Live conference and the next day of a uh, Security Matters Live conference and with an award sandwiched in the evening in between. So it's a proper industry day. And if you're an installer listening to this, couldn't be a better use of a couple of days for you for, for content. And obviously those of you that are Fire Safety Managers consultants, such CPD opportunities through this as well. I know you're going to ask me, when's the content going to be announced for the conference? When's it going to open reg? That will be... In March, we will announce the content lineup for that, and it's free to attend the conference. Um, and obviously, you can buy tickets for the awards in the evening. So, Brian, at this stage, we always uh, bring in a guest to the podcast. Who's the first guest that you've got for us on this edition of the podcast? Our first guest on episode 35 is Alistair Perry, the CEO of the British Automatic Fire Sprinkler Association, which is the professional trade association for the fire sprinkler industry. Ali began his current role in February of this year. 
Ali started his career in the Fire and Rescue Service by serving for just shy of seven years with the Lothian and Borders Fire and Rescue Service, where he was Group Commander, Head of Planning and also seconded to the Civil Service for a period of six months. The position of Assistant Inspector with His Majesty's Inspectorate of Fire and Rescue Services followed before Ali joined the Scottish Fire and Rescue Service. Seven years spent as Deputy Assistant Chief Officer ensued, during which time Ali looked after service delivery as well as prevention and protection. In addition to his role as CEO at BAFSA, Ali also serves on the Building Safety Regulators Industry Competence Committee. During our interview, Ali examines competence in the sector, sprinkler systems in schools, and also the car park fire that recently occurred at Luton Airport. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast, Ali. The British Automatic Fire Sprinkler Association is celebrating its 50th anniversary in 2024. What are the organisation's key aims going forward? Thanks very much, Ryan. Um, and, and thank you very much for inviting me on to the podcast. So I, I joined BAFSA in February this year, on the 1st of February this year, and absolutely delighted to have been appointed to this role. And I, I may get the opportunity to talk about that a little bit more during our discussions. But yeah, BAFS is 50 next year. And obviously, as part of that process, you reflect on what the association has achieved to date. And I, I'll, I'll talk about that in a bit more detail if I can. But first, what does BAFSA intend to do in the future? I've been really fortunate because I've taken over the association at a time that we're developing our next five-year plan. I think any new CEO would want to be in that position to stamp their mark, if you like, on the new five-year plan and then have that to implement. We're launching that on the 9th of November at our AGM, but not giving anything away. We're going to be focusing on competence within the industry, and I know we'll talk about that a little bit later on. We're talking about membership of the association increasing, the membership increasing, the variety of the membership, etc. We're looking at targeting key groups within the sprinkler industry, so broadening our reach across the fire industry as a whole, across other groups. So, for example, when we're looking at schools, we're looking at target parent-teacher groups, teaching unions, etc. Looking to understand the industry more so I want to get into the metrics around the sprinkler industry and we're looking at how we can do that. Focusing on key campaigns obviously across multiple fronts and I know we'll talk about that more but care homes, schools, uh, historic buildings etc. We're looking at developing a career pathway for new entrants into the industry bedrock of BAFSA, providing technical support to our members and obviously promoting the, the sprinkler industry as a whole. I talked a little bit about the you know why the history is important and I'd, I'd go into that in a little bit more detail. And I've done a bit of research coming into the association and it, it's really interesting reading going back. So if you can bear with me, just go through a little bit of that history. On the 5th of February 1974, BAFSA had its first ever meeting and at, at that time it was a British Automatic Sprinkler Association. On the 27th of February 1974, BASA, as was, entered into negotiation with the Fire Officers Committee, predecessor to the Loss Prevention Council and um, Loss Prevention Certification Board, in respect of its approval scheme for sprinkler installers. Again, history sort of showing the way. I'm going to come on to talk about that a little bit more in the future. I think it's really important how we engage with third party certification bodies and um, standards within the industry. Then in February 1997, 
BAFSA sent telexes, which I think shows the age, to newspapers following major fires in a Hull old person's home and a Manchester office building in which people sadly died. BAFSA's letters were not used, but I relate that to care homes. So going back to 1997, BAFSA was campaigning for sprinklers in care homes. Historic buildings in 1984, after the York Minster fire, BAFSA received a sympathetic hearing from Edward Macmillan Scott, MEP, who several times raised the issue of fire protection of heritage buildings and hotels in the European Parliament. Again, that's a current issue that I think we'll come on to later on. In May 1987, the Council discussed the lease or possible purchase of a fax machine, again showing how, how times have changed, and BAFSA decided to purchase a portable exhibition stand at a cost of £3,000 that was still in use in 2000, which again, I think, shows you know, how things have changed. The cost of such a stand now is measured in hundreds of pounds, not thousands. But importantly, discussions were taking place with loss Prevention Council Board in respect of the requirements for examinations for system designers. Um, these needed to be resolved if the target date for the definitive version of the listing scheme that the LPCB has in place were to be available for its launch in 1989. And that's really interesting to me because there's a lot of discussion about these examinations and they're now a cornerstone of the industry. Again in 1987, pilot retrofit installation of sprinklers in a secondary school under the auspices of BASA had been completed, but the promise of funding to produce a video of the project by an insurer was withdrawn and the director of the FPA very generously agreed to take this over. So 1987, BAFSA was campaigning for sprinklers in schools. 1986, the question of training of operatives was raised within BAFSA, so installers, and there was a lot of discussion about this at the time, with one member saying margins within the industry were so tight that funds to support training didn't exist. And obviously, you know, when you look at the history of BAFSA, that was pushed through, and it's been really, really important for the association and for competence within the industry. In 2000, Stuart Kidd was introduced to members at the March meeting as a Secretary General designate. Stuart's still with the association and has been a huge support to me in my role. 2001, BAFSA comments on the revised LPS 1048 scheme, and we are currently commenting on the, the new revision to the, the 1048 scheme with the Building Research Establishment. In 2004, a seminar on school fires took place in Sheffield. We participated in that and there was an announcement that sprinklers were to be fitted in four new schools in the area. And the Sheffield area has been really supportive of sprinklers in high-rise as well. We know the Calamount project. In 2006, there was a further campaign for sprinklers in schools. In 2010, the Secretary General told the Council that proposed pilot scheme to retrofit sprinklers in a high-rise housing block taking place, and that was a Calamount project which was a seminal piece of work for BAFSA that showed that sprinklers could be effectively retrofitted into a high-rise block at a reasonable cost and without any major disruption to residents. So really important piece of work. I'd probably stop at 2010 when Scottish Building Standards incorporated all of BAFSA's recommendations into new legislation. It meant all new schools, residential care premises and covered shopping centres in Scotland will be sprinkler protected. So a brief, brief history of BAFSA, but I think that shows working on key areas of campaigns for BAFSA, for the sprinkler industry for a long time. And it shows a commitment and success that BAFSA has had in some of these areas.
In the wake of the Hackett report, Ali, the subject of competence has become a hugely important one in the fire industry, of course. Could you outline how BAFSA is helping to raise standards in the sector? I think I covered a, a tiny bit of that in the history. So when BAFSA introduced training courses to the association and ran those training courses, there was some resistance. But I think it's proven to be a really important piece of foresight on behalf of the association. When I look at competence, and I relate this to my time in the Fire and Rescue Service, I see three things. I see standards. And when we look at the sprinkler industry, we have schemes like 1048. We have BS EN 12845. We have BS 9251. So clear standards that govern sprinklers and the, the installation design, etc. sprinklers for us. So we have those standards. We then need training to meet those standards. And BAFSA is providing that training and it's currently revising and further developing training courses to meet the needs of the industry. The next step that's really important is third party certification. So to independently verify that the people carrying out this work are doing so in a way that meets those standards. So those three things, standards, training and third party certification, when they align to me, you have competence. And I take that from my time within the Scottish Fire and Rescue Service as well. So those third party certification bodies are really important. We've got Warrington Fire through FireAss. We've got the BRE with the Red Book. and We've got the IFCC through Kiowa. So we work very closely with them. But to me, that's, that's an absolute key area for the sprinkler industry. And I think when we look wider across construction industry as a whole, we've got the Building Safety Act that came out in 2022, introduced what were the tragic failures in building safety that led to the Grenfell Tower tragedy on the 14th of June 2017. That I don't think any of us will ever forget the scenes that we saw that particular night. And the Hackett report asked for the, the Building Safety Act to take forward a fundamental, and I think that word is really important, a fundamental reform of the building safety system. So Building Safety Act created, as we know, the building safety regulator, looking at safety and standards of all buildings, which again, I think is really important, assuring the safety of higher risk buildings, both in construction and occupation, improving the competence of people responsible for overseeing, managing and delivering works to higher risk buildings. So that's putting competence um, front and centre of the building safety regulator. We know the Building Safety Regulator has set up the Industry Competence Committee, and that committee will monitor industry competence, advise um, the Building Safety Regulator and industry. It will help the industry to improve competence and produce guidance to the public about assessing the competence of people in the built environment industry. So when nominations or applications were asked for for membership of that particular committee, to me, competence is so important within the sprinkler industry. I applied for membership. Now, membership is on an individual basis, not by virtue of the, the organisation you're part of. So I applied as an individual and I was fortunate to be successful and now sit on the Industry Competence Committee. And although I don't represent BAFSA, clearly I'll bring my experience of BAFSA and also my experience within the Scottish Fire and Rescue Service to that table. It is my belief that BAFSA there's a trade association in place, so the sprinkler industry as a whole is in a good position. We have set standards, we have a process of training and examinations, we have a career pathway, and we also have third party certification in place. So I think we are in a good position, we can't rest on our laurels, and we need to keep 
improving, you know, undertaking that journey of continuous improvement. So that's what I think Basra is doing to help raise um, industry standards. I think we're showing the way and I'm on that industry competence committee and will be bringing my experience to that table. As a former firefighter yourself, Ali, as you mentioned, what insights do you feel you can bring to an organisation like BAFSA? When I came up to retirement, Brian, I was faced with fear. Uh, if I'm being perfectly honest, and that fear was, what was I going to do? I had a lot of time off, you know, un- unused leave that I was taking at that, that point in time. And I, I, I genuinely did feel a fear about how I could contribute moving forward. And reflecting about it, and when the, the job came up for BAFSA, I thought, what could I bring to this association? And I thought, three things, credibility, experience and passion. So the credibility comes from being in the fire service for 29 years, attending numerous incidents. In my last four years, I was head of prevention and protection, so covering fire investigation, fire safety engineering, and fire safety enforcement, community safety engagement. So a wide range, diverse technical areas that, that, as I say, I managed for for four years. And in that time, we were involved in the investigations for Cameron House, for the Glasgow School of Art, all the experiences that that I believe strengthened my application and what I could bring to the association. The main thing, I think, is passion. I am absolutely passionate and committed to fire safety in a built environment and doing everything I can to improve that safety. And there's probably two key experiences that generate that passion for me. One of them was during COVID, there was a spike in fire deaths within Scotland. And we'd had our lowest ever level the year before. And then during COVID, those numbers doubled. And when we looked at the people who were dying in fires, and we looked at the fire investigation reports, identified the critical factors. They were living alone over the age of 60, the, uh, the fatalities all had mobility issues and a number of other vulnerabilities. They were smokers, um, could have been drinkers, that type of thing. So we knew who was dying in, in house fires and who was going to die in house fires. So we targeted them through our, our, our normal process, home fire safety visits. We asked their relatives, their carers, their neighbours to refer them to us so we could undertake these visits and we would go in and fit smoke detectors to protect them. And we reduced fire deaths by 20% the following year. However, when I reflect on the other 80%, I look at what can we do to keep these people safe? They have mobility issues, they live alone, the smoke alarm goes off and alerts them to the fact there's a fire in a property. What can they do to escape? We need something that's more active. And the answer I kept coming up with was sprinklers. And another experience, I had a tragic experience, two experiences within the Scottish Fire and Rescue Service. In 2009, 12th of July, um, firefighter Ewan Williamson was killed in a structural fire in Edinburgh. And one of my roles was leading that investigation um, into Ewan's death for five years. And that had a real impact on me and everybody in the service at the time. And I then, during my last couple of days within the service, my last couple of working days, on the 23rd of January, there was a fire in Jenners in Edinburgh, not two miles from the Balmoral Bar where where Ewan tragically lost his life. And at that fire, Barry Martin suffered injuries and he died on the 27th of January. So I reflect on on the risks faced by firefighters and I want to make sure they are safe. And I think fitting sprinklers within the built environment is one of those key areas and, and key steps we can take to keep firefighters safe. So that's what I bring. I bring my history. I bring my passion. I bring my authenticity to the association and I believe my credibility, my experience and my passion matches the credibility, experience and passion that I found within 
Bafsa. It's more than just an industry. It's a life safety industry. And the people within that industry are all committed to the work they do to ensure the safety of people using the buildings within which they're fitting sprinklers. The recent fire at Luton Airport car park was a devastating reminder that the government really does need to act now on improving fire safety in such spaces, Ali. Is this now becoming a case of too little too late, though? What I've found in my career, and, and it also during my time in Bassa, is that people are very, very good at saying we'll learn the lessons from tragedies when they happen and devastating fires, but they're very bad at actually doing this. When I saw the Luton Airport car park fire, again, tragic scenes, and it, they grip the nation when we see scenes like that. But I also find that people feign surprise. You know, what, what a, a terrible fire, how could this happen? And it's like it's happened for the first time. But when you look at it, on the 27th of November in 2004, seven Swiss firefighters were killed in the collapse of a parking garage when a fire started in a parked car. Now, I've reflected a little bit on my experience where, you know, two firefighters tragically lost their lives in separate incidents. And I cannot imagine the impact on a service and a community with the loss of seven firefighters. In 2006, a fire occurred in a newly constructed care home with an underground car park in Bristol. The car park did not require it to be sprinklered, according to approved document B, and the fire that did start within that car park destroyed 22 cars, spread to the upper levels and killed one person. On the 22nd of October 2014, a major um, fire occurred in a car park in Paris, destroyed 50 cars, significant disruption and road closures. In fire tests and real fires, sprinklers have proven they can restrict the fire to one vehicle, allowing the fire service to approach and completely extinguish the, the vehicle in safety. In 2017 in Liverpool at the King's Docks multi-storey car park fire, a fire led to loss of 1,150 vehicles. At the time, Merseyside Fire and Rescue Service stated designers should seriously consider sprinkler provision to avoid multiple vehicle fires resulting in huge insurable losses and a possible loss of life. And then we come on to Luton Airport and we see a catastrophic fire. Think of the impact on the owners of those 1,500 vehicles that were destroyed. The numbers of passengers affected, flights cancelled, disruption to the area, disruption to businesses. I dread to think what the insurance costs will be for such a fire. Now, all those fires I've talked about have had major impacts. They've all been in the press. And yet we feign surprise again when we see these fires happening. We need to act as a community as a country, we need to act and protect people from the ravages of fire. And there's an easy way to do that. Part of the solution is the fitting of sprinklers within buildings and do that on a prioritised risk-based process. And we can clearly see that there is a heightened risk within multi-storey car parks and they should be protected with sprinklers. So the question is, is it too little too late? Well, it's late, but it's not too late. And is it too little if we fit sprinklers and we have it built into regulations? We require sprinklers in multi-storey car parks. It's not too late. It is late. So to summarise, it's not too little because it, the solution is there to be brought in. It's not too late, but we can't leave it any longer. We need to learn from these mistakes and fit these sprinklers in multi-storey car parks. BAFSA has been campaigning for some time now to have the legislation for sprinkler systems in England's schools amended. What are your views on the potential for the requirements laid down in Building Bulletin 100 to be diluted? Thank you for the question on schools, Brian. That's a, an area that's really close to, to my heart. So the consequences of school fires for the school and wider community were detailed in a report conducted by Optical 
economics. It's the impact of school fires, a study of the wider economic and social impacts on schools and local community. That was conducted uh, as long ago as 2007. It identified four main impacts. So the economic impacts of school fires, the educational impact of school fires, the social impact of school fires and the emotional impacts of school fires. Now, my understanding is that when government, the Westminster government, considers the risk benefit or the cost benefit analysis of fitting sprinklers in schools. It focuses only on those first order piece of evidence, which are economic impacts of school fires. So the cost for the rebuild, the cost for the insurance. The really important elements also include their educational impact, those children that miss their education within a school, and that impacts more significantly on the vulnerable members of our school communities. We've got the social impacts, so the wider impacts across the community. Our schools are now used by a wide variety of community groups, and they, they, they support, again, vulnerable members of the community. We've got the emotional impacts of school fires, the impact on teachers, pupils, and that wider community that's really important. Building Bulletin 100, Fire Safety Design for Schools, is a really important document. And back in 2007, Sir Jim Knight, in his forward to the document, stated the publication of Building Bulletin 100 is a landmark in improving fire safety in schools. So just reflect on that. It's a landmark in improving fire safety in schools. It brings together guidance on how to make schools even safer places for children to be in, with guidance on how to protect the continuity of the education. And the bulletin goes on to state on the 1st of March 2007, there was an announcement that new, the new policy on sprinklers and their value as a measure against the risk of fire and arson went on to state all new schools should have fire sprinklers installed except in a few low risk schools. So all new schools should have fire sprinklers installed except in a few low risk schools. And the bulletin stated to reduce the effects of arson, installation of suppression systems is likely to be very effective. So the government then launched a consultation in 2021 and it proposed a revised version of BB100 and that revised version stands at the present time and it recommends that automatic fire suppression systems should be installed in all new school buildings that have a story with a finished floor level over 11 metres above ground level, new special schools and new boarding accommodation. So that's not the entirety of a boarding school, it's just the accommodation. So when I look at 2007 and the landmark that Sir Jim Knight built at that time, improving fire safety, the question I ask is why in 2021 is the government set to demolish that landmark? And instead of bringing in a strengthened requirement for sprinkler systems or even maintaining current requirement for sprinkler systems, they are bringing in a lesser standard for sprinkler systems. And if I compare it to experiences, for example, with rack panels, the tragic situation we find that our schools are in with rack panels and the government's approach to that, they have said that they will spare no cost in ensuring the safety of our children. And that's across the board. When I've done my research, I've found one article in The Guardian that refers to the collapse of a ceiling within a school, in a staff room, at a weekend that didn't result in any injuries, but was a result of the presence of rack panels. So we have you know, one instant, there may well be others, where there's been a collapse that had the potential to cause injuries. Between 2015 and 2020, there was over 2,300 fires in schools that had a devastating effect. So the government is spending a huge amount of money on resolving the rack panel situation within schools and has committed to do that. 
at the same time, it is diluting the requirement for sprinklers in schools that, again, are life safety systems that ensure the safety of our children. I don't understand the difference between these two risks and the approach to resolving these two risks. If we're spending a considerable amount of money resolving the rack panel situation in schools, we could at the same time piggyback on the back of that approach and retrofit sprinklers in these schools at the same time. Scotland and Wales require sprinklers in all new schools. Scotland's done since 2010, Wales since 2016. Those decisions were based on the same evidence that presented to the Westminster government. But the Westminster government has chosen not to take all of that evidence, in my mind, into consideration. And as I say, instead of strengthening the requirements for sprinklers in schools, the current revision to BB100 dilutes and reduces that requirement for sprinklers in schools, a decision I just cannot understand. And lastly, Ali, six years on from the tragic fire at the Cameron House Hotel, which you referenced earlier, the Scottish Government is reported to be taking steps to address the recommendations on fire suppression that emerged from the subsequent fatal accident inquiry. What's your understanding on this issue? So the Cameron House fire in 2017 occurred late at night and tragically took the lives of two gentlemen, Simon Midgley and Richard Dyson. And the mother of Simon Midgley, Jane Midgley, has campaigned relentlessly for improvements in fire safety in historic buildings converted into hotels. I was in the fire service, as I said earlier at the time, the Cameron House fire, and I oversaw the investigation by our fire investigation teams and the response to um, the findings of that investigation. It was indeed a tragic fire, but there are certainly lessons that we can learn. In Scotland, we have fatal accident um, investigations that be equivalent to an inquest in England. And in January this year, the 11th of January, Sheriff McCartney released his findings at the Cameron House fire. And he identified that it was submitted that the court is entitled to conclude that there is a real or likely possibility that had sprinklers been installed and worked to inhibit the extent and spread of the fire and smoke, the deceased, like other guests, would have been able to escape the building. That's a really powerful statement to me. And Sheriff McCartney went on to recommend the Scottish Government should constitute an expert working group to fully explore the special risks which existing hotels and similar premises may pose through the presence of hidden cavities or voids and to consider revising the guidance provided by Scottish Government and others. Sheriff McCartney went on to state that given the potential added fire protection provided by an effective fire suppression system, if such installations were said to be impossible or impractical in certain premises, it may be that such premises are simply not suitable as hotel accommodation. So what Sheriff McCartney is saying is historic buildings present a greater risk because of the presence of um, hidden cavities and voids. I think everyone within the fire service would agree with and, and history indeed would support. If a historic building is being converted into a hotel and sprinkler systems cannot be fitted, then it shouldn't be converted into a hotel because we cannot protect those occupants. It's a really powerful statement. So the Scottish Government has established a building and fire safety Cameron House Hotel Short Life Working Group to consider the wider aspects of these recommendations, um, looking at converting historic buildings and revising relevant guidance for existing hotels. And this work is being overseen by the Building and Fire Safety Ministerial Working Group. And I used to sit on that working group when I was in the Scottish Fire and Rescue Service. 
The government has in Scotland has taken other action in the short term. So that, that working group has been established. It's reported on what it believes the scope of a further working group should be, looking into the fitting of sprinklers into historic buildings being converted into hotels. But at the moment, Scottish Government is saying that ministers will amend guidance in technical handbooks on building standards to promote the use of automatic fire suppression systems for such conversions to mitigate risks. So it's doing that now. In addition, from the end of October, the Scottish Government must be notified of future conversions of historic buildings to be used as hotel accommodation. That will allow ministers to monitor applications. And the Scottish Government will work with organisations, including the Scottish Fire and Rescue Service, Local Building Standards Scotland, and an historic environment Scotland to promote key fire safety messages. Um, and these will highlight the dangers associated with historic construction techniques and how they can result in fire spread within hidden voids. So really good. Scottish Government is being proactive in the interim while that working group is established. I am really pleased to be able to report that BAFSA has been engaging with Scottish Government building standards on this. And I've got a history of engaging with them and it's my strong understanding that BAFSA will be a member of that working group moving forward. So I'm really pleased in the direction of travel that is taking in Scotland. Returning to the news now, and the Association for Specialist Fire Protection has just launched its competence framework. This is a free library of information defining activities pertaining to passive fire protection across the building life cycle that realises a benchmark for competence referencing all passive fire protection focused activities. The competence framework represents the first step on the ASFP's competency pathway, which aims to support the industry in adopting a unified approach towards building, evidencing and also promoting competence across the passive fire protection sector. Working alongside other organisations, the ASFP has developed the competence framework to specify what competency in passive fire protection actually looks like in the real world. It brings together content developed by the ASFP and also industry groups in a free and easy-to-use website, which is open for viewing to all. The competency framework covers activities specific to passive fire protection in seven areas across the building life cycle. These are as follows, design and specification, procurement, selling and distribution, installation, inspection, maintenance, and also own and occupy. These are then further broken down by complexity, ranging from foundation to intermediate experience and advanced levels right through to authoritative. By defining activities rather than job roles or occupations, the competence framework reflects the fact that individuals working within a range of roles, among them architects, surveyors, installers, inspectors and also facilities managers, may be involved in passive fire protection activities. For each activity, the competence framework outlines the skills, knowledge, experience and behaviours agreed by the industry working groups. Each activity definition is presented in a consistent format, with expected competencies detailed in the four quadrants of culture and behaviour, currency of competence, core abilities and specific abilities. In order to establish competency in a given activity, an individual must be able to demonstrate that they meet all of the statements within all of these groups. The competence framework is an evolving database and will have information added to it over time as more guidance is produced. The current site exhibits a particular focus on passive fire protection installation activities and particularly so in regards to fire stopping, with listed activities having been developed through the specialist fire stopping subgroup of working group two. Activities in many of the other areas are not yet fully defined and agreed by industry. 
Committee. On that note, Mark, there's an ongoing programme in place to develop these statements and bring together further content from various sources, including, of course, the ASFP itself. Greater detail is soon expected to be delivered for the following areas. Design and specification. Defined activities are currently under consultation, in fact. The installation of ductwork and dampers, for which activities are being developed through another working group two subgroup, and also sales and distribution. Activities here are related to the requirements of the Code for Construction Product Information and are currently under consultation. What's your take on this story then, Mark? Yeah, it's 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 an interesting one. And, you know, if you're not familiar with uh, ASFP, so the Association for Special Fire Protection, I would very much urge you to become a member if it's relevant to you or go to their website, um, which is asfp.org.uk. Yeah, I think what I want to do here, Brian, is I want to just actually add something that their managing director, Mike Ward, someone that we know very well, I like very much, Mike, um, what he said on this. So he said... I'm delighted to announce the launch of the ASFP's competency framework. While still a work in progress, the ASFP's long-term aim is for all professionals and trades across the whole building life cycle to be able to access the competency framework and gain a full understanding of what they need to do to achieve competency in passive fire protection and record their achievements. Something that, by the way, we completely support and agree with, for, for what it's worth. Um, Mike goes on to say, we shall continue to collaborate with all stakeholders to complete the competency framework's development and maintain it thereafter, ensuring that together we deliver improved quality and safety across the entirety of the built environment. Now, if you want to read this in full, the competency framework, it is available on their website, um, and you can go to asfpindex.org.uk forward slash competence framework for it, or actually just read the whole news story that, that Brian has has written as well to give you, and you can see the link to it in there. And if you go to our website or just go into a search engine, Fire Safety Matters, when you're on our website, we've got our own search box. And honestly, just type in competency framework um, and that'll come up. The whole title is Competency Framework Unveiled by Association for Specialist Fire Protection. So I would say have a look at the whole article. But yeah, it's just something that, that we welcome, Brian. It, it's a good step. It's good to see ASFP being proactive. Now, Proactive is a nice pun for uh, what's happened in our work environment in the last few weeks. Uh, it, I said at the start of this podcast that I would talk a little bit about some stuff to prove that I'm not a hypocrite to do with awards. Well, I can say professionally, this has been as busy a time and a prouder couple of weeks as, as my career has ever had. Um, some of you may have seen that we as a publisher, Western Business Media, my business, have acquired three new publications, um, Benchmark Magazine, Professional Security Installer and Risk Extra, which makes us, alongside Security Matters, that uh, Brian does a fantastic job of editing, the biggest publisher in the security market in the UK. Um, we we cover everything um, from installer to end users to consultants, and, and, and that that's just Brian in, <laughs> in Security Matters. <laughs> and... Um, you know, we've got the biggest audience and, um, you know, we are and, you know, the biggest client base. And, you know, that was a big acquisition for us. But I'm bringing that up because that culminated in something quite special uh, last Friday, which I would say was the best day of my career, to be quite frank. Uh, I've said to you, please do enter the Fire and Security Matters Awards. And I mean that for the reasons that I outlined. But I said I'm not a hypocrite and I do enter us 
for industry awards too and and our trade body is the the ppa the um the, the main uh publishing association above us and we were there at the independent publishers awards we were truly honored to have 10 out of 10 of our entries shortlisted and a year they had a record amount of entries and we were truly stunned to walk away with three of the three of the biggest awards that were there FSM that you know, obviously Brian, I, Leanne, and you know Alex and Danny and Chris all work on, was uh, up for media brand of the year. It was up for event of the year for Fire Safety Matters Live. It was also up for commercial partnership of the year with the FIA for the FIA guide, and it was up for business publication of the year, an award I have long wanted to win and often become the bridesmaid of <laughs> my entire career. Well, a bridesmaid I am no more. Um, you know, we won that award. I'm so proud of Brian, Leanne and the team uh, for that. You know, to, to be named the best business magazine in the country is a true honour. And and I'm bringing this up with you guys, not to celebrate it, because, you know, you, you, the audience, are the reason that we did that. Your interaction with our webinars, reading our magazines, uh, reading our newsletters, listening to these podcasts, interacting with our advertisers, coming to our events, entering our awards, you're the reason we have a business. The reason that this stuff is free for you, obviously, is because of the commercial partnerships we have with an amazing uh, lineup of um, of advertisers, exhibitors, sponsors, whatever you want to call them, but that only works if you engage with them. You know they don't do it for charity for my business. You know it is done because they have a product they think that you want that you're interested in, and that partnership and that understanding between you and they is what allows me to have a business that I'm very grateful for. It's also allowed us to have a fantastic editor like Brian to produce what I think is deserving of that honor of best business magazine in the country and I'm very very proud of him and, and everybody else and, and grateful to all of you for enabling that to happen we didn't just win that we also won relaunch of the year for logistics matters because we rebranded that after research with our audience from handling and storage solutions after 20 years to be logistics matters and we've had record audience growth and engagement through that so I'm so thrilled for Simon, Liza, Alex and Neil for that um and then the one that caught me off guard that we were named Independent Publishing Company of the Year, the best publishing company in the UK. That was beyond my wildest dreams that we would win that. That means every single member of staff. And we now have, you know, 36 of us now uh, combined with the new acquisition. And the best part of that was it was the first time I'd met face to face the seven new staff from the acquisition of the security magazines I told you about. They were in the room and that they got to be there to be part of that. And I had my partner. She was with me there as well, um, Leanne. And that, that was really important to me. And And what this does is hopefully reassures you guys that we're committed to doing as quality a publication as we can and websites and events and everything else. And um, certainly I, I know Brian and Leanne will have enjoyed it <laughs> for sure. Um, and it meant a lot to me on a, a personal level as well. And, and that really comes back to my point is I am no different than any of you, whether you're an installer or an end user consultant in the fire sector you're in a sector, and I know how much it meant to me and our team when we just got shortlisted, let alone winning something. And if that isn't a reason, the feeling that I get from that is the same feeling you will get from that if you went to our awards. And I'm a true hypocrite if I don't do it. And and I can say hand on heart, I've never had a prouder day in my career. And I'm, I'm grateful to all of you listening, to all of our amazing advertisers and sponsors. 
and to our team. So um, it, it was a good day at the office after what has been a busy and stressful few weeks. But I'm lucky. I love what I do for a living. I love doing this podcast and other stuff. I love meeting you all at our events and saying how much you enjoy the podcast. And we do want your feedback. Social media, um, use the hashtag FSM podcast send us emails, you know, go through our website to do that, or we're active on LinkedIn. We do want your feedback to get this better. But uh, yeah, Brian, it was a fantastic day. And I'm pretty confident, despite both you and I being a bit under the weather through colds, uh, I think you enjoyed it a little bit. It was fantastic, Mark. I did that with, you know, with genuine thanks, I guess, to the industry, to PPA, obviously, for rewarding us this prestige accolade. Make no mistake about it, Mark. I think the, the business publication of the year accolade is the equivalent to the 100 metres in the Olympics. It's a blue ribbon of this event. There's no doubt about that. As you know, before I came to this business, I'd won several awards with the companies I'd worked with previously. They were contributions to the industry, to the sector, in this case, security. I'd also won an award prior to that when I was working with the Builder Group for an engineering magazine, which I started on. But I think this one is the one of all of those. I was very grateful to be shortlisted for four categories. Don't get me wrong. But I think out of all of those four categories, the one I really wanted to win and, and make a mark on was Business Publication of the Year. And again, as you've rightly said, you've, you've pretty much covered all the bases there, Mark, with what you said. And thank you for what you said about my contribution. I love working on this magazine. Again, I don't say that for some of the aggrandizement. This is a massively important sector, the fire sector. It's life safety. It's life safety critical. Uh, and we need to get things right. The industry needs to get things right. And we do as a publication. We all strive to do that. So it's all about best practice, Mark. And obviously the industry is predicated on the basis of continuing professional development, etc., and always continual learning. And in terms of being a journalist in this sector, and indeed across the security magazine and edit, Security Matters, it's the same principle applies, Mark. I always put in 100% effort. I make sure it's factually correct. I always give people in the industry, whether it be a commercial partner of ours or a contributor or one of the trade associations or trade bodies, we are the mouthpiece for the sector. And that's how I see us. We are we are a vehicle through which people can, can propagate their views and opinions on the sector. And I don't presume as a journalist to teach people you know, how, how to say things, for example. Their opinions are their opinions. And we have to present those as they are without spin and present the facts as they're given to us. But it was a great day, Mark. I was thoroughly proud to win that award, massively proud to win that award. I think it's probably the great achievement of my career I would say actually as an award as far as an award's concerned because that's for us it's for us as a team and as a company and obviously as a magazine I'm very very proud of that and, and you know I make no apologies for sharing it because we win this together our audience is us you are us we are we are one community and you know I wanted to share the great news you know, we're very grateful to all of you and uh it's not quite Christmas yet, but as far as the podcast goes, um, it is Christmas. This is the December edition of the podcast in 2023 as we speak. Uh, this is the last podcast before 2024. So from me, because obviously Brian's about to introduce our final guest, this is my last part on the this episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank all of you for listening and tuning into the podcast this year, for engaging with us, however you do so, with the magazine in print, online, the events, the awards, please do spread the word about us as you do to keep our audiences growing. You are an essential ingredient to this and you do a really important job, as Brian said, of keeping people and property safe. And we will continue the best we can do to keep you informed and to celebrate what you do and give you the latest best practice and legislative updates and products and news and everything that you can learn from in there. But... I look forward to seeing many of you at events next year. 
But in the meantime, as, as this, this is it for me before our, our, our final guest, thank you for everything that you do to support us. And I hope you all and all your families have a fantastic Christmas and festive period. So on that note, Brian, who's our final guest on this edition of the podcast? Our second guest on this edition of the Fire Safety Matters podcast is Craig Wells, Sales Director at Passive Fire Protection Systems Specialist, Wellfire. Craig joined the company in June 2012 from a family-based contracting business, having developed a keen interest in the technical products arena. His current role involves keeping the entire team aligned with their sales targets, while in parallel providing technical support and sales consultancy for prospects, influencers and customers alike, whether over the telephone or face-to-face, and whether on or off-site. In the course of our discussion, Craig focuses on fire-stopping issues and also the concept of early engagement for main contractors. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast, Craig. First of all, could you introduce Quellfire as a company for us? Yeah, thank you. So Quellfire are a UK-based manufacturer and supplier of passive fire protection products with a very core focus on service penetration seals. The company was established in 1977 and um, are one of the leading manufacturers and suppliers in this country. What do you believe makes Quellfire stand out as a business, Craig? Yeah, so I'm actually going to use the words of um, a certain Richard who commented on a post on LinkedIn last night um, to kick off. What he said was always raising the bar. If there is a problem, you can guarantee you guys will try to solve it. And I think that really summarizes quite nicely where we are. We are, as I say, a manufacturer and supplier of passive fire protection products, bat, sealant, fire collars, wraps. Many of these products look, feel and essentially do the same thing. But where we really differentiate ourselves is with full tested solutions. So we we invest a lot of uh, time and energy and resource into testing solutions, not only the bare basics, but also solutions for real life challenges. So as I say, as Richard says there, you know, if there's a problem, you can guarantee you guys will try to solve it. And so we, as I say, we, we test the basics to the relevant standards, but we also embrace feedback from people who are out in the real wide world um, and, and develop and test solutions because you know the, the days of doing the best we can achieve in the circumstances are gone. We should be installing products um, in accordance with test evidence and certification. In other words, that's the only way we can guarantee how products are going to perform in a fire situation should it ever happen. So really, yeah, as I say, tested solutions, but then it's also the support that we offer. So, yes, we supply products. Yes, we test the products. We test them as a system and we see, mark them, et cetera. But it's all the support that goes with it. So we put a lot of time and energy into education. So educating architects, designers, main contractors and all the relevant subcontractors and specialist trades on not only how to install the products, but also why they're installing these products. Often there's some kind of myths around fire stopping and there's a lot of uncertainty and we believe it's really important for people to understand why they've got to do this um, as well as the what they can do. So yeah that's the, the two points I would say um, is the tested solutions and the technical support. One of our, our missions is to be a leading UK manufacturer of passive fire containment solutions offering quality systems with a high level of 
test evidence and certification, and then backed up by a highly proactive and passionate team who provide unparalleled technical support and customer service. And I think talking to most people, they'd probably say that's how they regard us. So as I say, it's the products, the systems and the support and the education. And who does Qualifier actively support, Craig? Yeah, great question. Um, as many people as possible that have got any interest in service penetration seals, really. So as I say, right from a very early design stage, um, you've got architects and, and MEP, consultants, and fire engineers, and you move on to the actual contractors. So you might have main contractors, we've got dry liners um, and, and floor system manufacturers. You've got the actual dry lining contractors installing the walls um, or, or the floor contractors. And then you've got mechanical contractors, electrical contractors, specialist fire stop contractors, inspectors, building control, everybody that's involved with every stage of construction, if you like, we, we will actively engage and support in, in the relevant um, way. Historically, we probably tended to regard fire stopping as a specialist fire stop contractor's responsibility. However, all these people directly impact the overall performance of a fire stop seal. If the plumber puts the, a different pipe in that's not been tested or uses a different insulation that's not been tested or the main contractor decides to use a funky new wall system that's never been fire tested with service penetrations, ultimately you'll end up with a non-compliant seal. So really everybody that's involved through the construction phase and of course predating it with, with all the design stage as well. And when it comes to fire stopping based decisions, where does the majority of the responsibility reside in your belief? A very interesting question and indeed one that you, you could probably debate, but I would say the simple answer is everyone is responsible for fire safety. Um, obviously, there are going to be contractual responsibilities. You know, you've got principal contractors and principal designers, and there will be, of course, contracts, you know, with, with architects putting certain responsibility on, on them, fire engineers, building control, all these people who carry an element of responsibility. But really, it is everyone. And as I say, that's where we kind of differentiate ourselves, providing that education and that support to everyone that could and does impact the overall fire safety strategy. In your view, Craig, how can main contractors embrace early engagement? Well, it really starts with a bit of a mindset change. I guess, as I've just alluded to, fire stopping has tended to be regarded as one of the latter trades on site. So we build buildings, we, let's say, you know, create a, a plaster fire rated plasterboard wall, we maybe create a letterbox through the wall, um, the plumber and the electrician come in and run their services through. And then at some point they say, right, let's get a fire stop contractor along. Let's put some batten sealant in there. Oh, and by the way, we've got handover next week and we need a certificate to say it's all OK. That's the historic approach. It's the wrong approach. As I say, all the trades directly impact the overall performance of that seal. So we need a real change of mindset. We need to start saying, well, we've got this building to build. We need to achieve this particular fire rating. We want to use this particular wall system. We want to use this particular pipe, this particular insulation, et cetera, et cetera. Is there a tested solution available for it? Once we identify the tested solution, we then identify what the scope of that solution is. In other words, what, what size seals are required, what the spacing requirements. In other words, we start determining based on our wants and the tested scope what size the letterboxes need to be. We can then progress the design and say, okay, this is the size of the letterbox, go and start building. As I say, the historic approaches tend to be the way around. So 
starts with the mindset. And I'm you know, certainly delighted to say that things are changing and there is a culture change. Certainly a number of the tier one contractors that we work with are embracing this, um, as I say, cultural change of, of designing and then building, whereas historically it's been build and try and make up a bit of design on the job once it starts getting too late. So first thing is to um, is to reach out really and find out the help and the support that's available. As I say, we're, we're delighted to um, offer education. So it might be basic levels of CPD, um, but then progress into more detailed presentations about why we're saying what we're saying. Um, and then ultimately, it's about talking to us on a project by project basis to identify what those tested solutions are for their particular requirements. And finally, Craig, in what ways do you feel the industry is adapting to the concept of early engagement? So really leading on, I suppose, from my previous point, um, we are seeing some changes with some of the tier one contractors, certainly. Um, so they are starting to regard um, service penetration ceiling as you know, a really important topic of conversation, not just a, a, a small add-on package towards the end of the contract. Um, so we are seeing this sort of shift to early engagement. Um, we're seeing that shift towards designing and then building. Um, we're seeing a lot of emphasis on using third-party accredited installation contractors and seeing a shift towards um, people asking more questions. Um, I always say, you know, competency, which is a, obviously a huge buzzword in the industry, competency is knowing what you don't know. Now, if you are responsible for managing a, a contractor um, and responsible for ensuring that they are competent, you need to know yourself and what they're doing, what they're proposing is suitable. So it's really important that you know what you don't know. And of course, knowing where to go to seek that information. So we see a lot more engagement, a lot more questioning, a lot more scrutiny. Um, show me the evidence before you just crack on and, and, and do something. So some real positive changes coming through and obviously you know, something that Profire are really pleased to be um, encouraging and supporting wherever possible. brings us to the end of episode 35 of the Fire Safety Matters podcast. Many thanks indeed to our special guests on this edition, namely Ali Perry from the British Automatic Fire Sprinkler Association and Craig Wells of Quellfire. You can read more on the issues raised in this edition of the podcast and others by visiting the Fire Safety Matters website. The web address you need to access is www.fsmatters.com. We do hope you enjoyed the content delivered in the podcast and found it informative. Please do contact us if there are any particular themes or issues you would like us to explore on upcoming editions. You can do so on X, formerly Twitter, of course, by using the hashtag FSM podcast. On that note, do make sure you follow us on X at FSMatters underscore MAG and also access our LinkedIn page at Fire Safety Matters magazine and website. Please do like and share the content of our regular podcast and spread the word among your industry colleagues. You can listen to the Fire Safety Matters podcast for free on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube or Podbean. All you need to do is enter the term of Fire Safety Matters into your chosen platform search box. We'll see you next time.